It's TCU Kansas State week, which means we're previewing the Wildcats. Melissa sits down with Luke Thompson to bring on the Cats as the Frogs get ready to head up to Manhattan on Saturday night. TCU baseball lands the highest-rated recruit in program history this week, plus three games I'm watching, the weekly mailbag, and a stats preview of the game right now on Frogs Insider. Let's go! Welcome into the Frogs Insider Podcast. Jamie Plunkett here as always. Melissa Treewasser will be along shortly. She is sitting down with Luke Thompson of Bring on the Cats to preview TCU against Kansas State, which comes up at 6 p.m. Central Time on Saturday evening this week. Big competition between the two purple teams in the Big 12, a rematch of last year's Big 12 championship that unfortunately did not go TCU's way. Very excited to hear what Luke and Melissa have to say about the game. Uh, A couple other things as well before we get into that. But first, if you are new here, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. Uh, We are a part of the Republic of Football Network over at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Very excited to be a part of this network. You can find this show along with all of the other shows in the network anywhere you get your podcasts just by searching Republic of Football Network. We have a podcast for every D1 football program in the state of Texas. It is a blast to hang out and chat and and listen to all of the different perspectives on D1 football in the state. So check out the Republic of Football Network there if you want to listen to all of those other shows. You've got Texas Tech, you've got Baylor, but you've also got Sam Houston State, UTSA, Rice, all of the schools that have a football program have a podcast in the network. Uh, If you just want... TCU content only, that's fine too. You can just search us up at Frogs Insider wherever you get your podcasts and we'll be right there in a TCU only feed. Um, So you can have it your way. We're kind of like the Burger King of podcasts over here. Want to also shout out our sponsors, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Home Field Apparel. You'll hear more about them later on in the show, but thank you, thank you, thank you to both of them right off of the top as well. All right, let's dive in because we got a lot to cover and I'm trying to keep this show relatively short we got a long mailbag today and i want to make sure we got time for it so i want to jump in first though by talking about tcu baseball a couple of nuggets here first of all if you know anything about tcu baseball you should know this name and this name is john delora john delora is an assistant coach he's uh, largely responsible on the field for outfield defense that's part of what he does he's the third base coach he took over that role last year Uh, and he is also the recruiting coordinator for TCU baseball. He does an excellent job focusing on high school recruiting across the country. He's one of the reasons that TCU is putting together top 20 classes year over year over year. He's an excellent evaluator of high school talent. TC, he also tweets, right? So you know there's this trend now of coaches when they land a commitment tweeting out some sort of gif or cryptic message or whatever it is. Well, he does that for TCU baseball. So if you ever see John Delora tweeting a welcome to the family gif, you know that TCU baseball has just gotten a commitment. Well, last Saturday, right before the TCU-BYU football game, John DeLora tweeted that three times in a row. And it wasn't like a glitch. It wasn't a, oh, he accidentally double-tweeted double it or whatever. TCU baseball landed three commitments on Saturday morning. 
Two were for the 2025 class, which is two classes away. Uh, one of those kids was on campus. His name was Drew Van Court. Uh, he's a right-handed pitcher. He was recently committed to Oregon State out of the state of California. Um, really, really good arm talent. Good kid. Uh, had the chance to catch up with him. You can read that interview over on hornfrogblitz.com. Um, he committed uh, to the class, a uh, big commitment for TCU. Another kid that committed is one that visited actually back in September. His name's Uli Fernsler, uh, a left-handed pitcher out of the state of Michigan, one of the top-rated recruits out of the state of Michigan. Um, and it's funny because he is, he is one of the most unassuming kids I've ever talked to. There's an interview with him up on the site as well. It's from a way back. You'd have to dig for it a little bit on the site. I might pull it up and tweet it out again this week. Uh, but that's two really good additions to the 2025 class for TCU baseball. Brings that class up to 11 total commitments. I believe that class is ranked 23rd nationally right now uh, with the chance to jump up. Actually, let's just double check that real quick. Let's see. They might have moved up. They might have moved up. Not still sitting there right at 23, which is not bad at all. But the big addition to TCU baseball that happened on Wednesday morning officially is Noah Franco. Noah Franco is the number five player in the 2024 class. He's a two-way player. He's a left-handed pitcher, and he's an outfielder slash first baseman, hits from the left side of the plate. Um, He actually reclassified from the 2025 class where he was the number one player in the country. So still a top five player, even though he's reclassified up a year. Um, And he is uh, the highest rated recruit that TCU has ever landed a commitment from. That includes Shane Boz. That includes... um, all of these other guys that never made it to campus because they were first-round draft picks or whatever. Uh, Noah Franco is, is rated higher than all of them. So the, obviously, the question is, is the draft a threat here? And yes, it is. But I think there's actually a decent chance that he makes it to campus. When, when I caught up with him, uh, he talked a lot about the private school experience, about how valuable that was. Um, and realistically, for two-way players, uh, there's a little bit of a different approach that MLB teams take. Uh, versus college teams. TCU laid out a plan for him to play both ways. Uh, Peyton Tolley was his host over the weekend, who's also a two-way player. Uh, They hit it off incredibly well, um, and Peyton was able to relay to Noah the plan that TCU told him, right? And it's, it's essentially the same plan that they've laid out for Noah. And so there's value, I think, in hearing that hey, someone else is going through what TCU has planned for you right now. And so hearing from Peyton about what his experience has been since he got on campus this summer and, and, and just kind of talking through all of that stuff, I think was really, really valuable to earning Franco's commitment. Uh, he was recently committed to Mississippi State, but decommitted from there. Uh, and so he's he's the top-rated recruit in the, t- in the 2024 class for TCU. They've got 16 commits in that class now, and they're ranked 11th in the country. So TCU's just right on the fringe of having a top-10 recruiting class for the 2024 cycle. Uh, Noah Franco's a big part of that. And I mentioned John Delora already. Shout-out to him, right, because he is the guy that kind of makes all of the high school recruiting tick for TCU baseball, obviously the whole coaching staff has a huge part in recruiting kids and they, they have extended conversations with these kids once they're on campus and, and they, they break it up a little bit. But John Delora is the, the straw that stirs the drink when it comes to high school recruiting for TCU baseball. And so the fact that, that they have Franco not only get to campus for a visit, um, but the way that they strategize that visit as they do with every high school kid that gets to campus, um, Obviously, it was it was a perfectly laid plan. They executed it uh, incredibly well to get Franco to commit, and that's that's a credit to John Delora for sure. So if you don't follow him on Twitter, you should hit him up 
follow him and uh, you know keep an eye out for those welcome to the family tweets. Uh, another little baseball note as well. Um, Kendall Rogers of D1 Baseball is reporting that the Big 12 tournament is going to stay at Globe Life Field in Arlington through the 2028 season, which is really awesome. Not just because it's 20 minutes from my house, but because the SEC, now that they're adding Texas and Oklahoma, has been trying to encroach on DFW, uh, specifically the big pro stadiums that are out in Arlington, both Globe Life and AT&T. And so the Big 12 is having to defend their territory a little bit when it comes to those arenas. And we're talking Big 12 media days. We're talking the Big 12 championship for football. We're talking the tournament for baseball. Um, the SEC wants, wants this market, and they want their stuff in this market. So for the Big 12 to be able to hold on through 2028 is, is a good sign that, that they're going to be commanding uh, some respect in the market for, for years to come. So that's... that's uh, uh, a really good, a really good thing, in my opinion. All right, but let's get to get get to why we're all here. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to take a look at some stats here for TCU Kansas State, and then we're going to jump into Melissa and Luke's conversation, which is excellent. Um, but I want to tell you, I'm working off of the advanced stats preview that Parker Fleming sends out every week. If you don't follow him, follow him. He's on he's at he's on Twitter at Stats of War. Does an excellent job created uh, a new measurement for offensive efficiency called the Echel rate. And if you've listened to the podcast before, you've heard me talk about Echel rate a little bit. But before we get into that specifically, because TCU is still struggling with an aspect of it, I want to I wanna point out that TCU is improving statistically almost across the board when it comes to their offense. And a lot of that has to do with putting up 44 points against BYU but we saw some of the same glaring issues against BYU that we had seen throughout the year. So TCU right now is 28th in the country in passing EPA. They're 30th in the country in rushing EPA, both top 30 in the country. That's really good. I would say that's really good. They're 16th in the country in echo rate at 55.3%. And if you don't know what echo rate is, echo rate measures how frequently your offensive drives create scoring opportunities. A scoring opportunity, according to Echel rate, happens once the ball advances beyond the opponent's 30. So once you're inside the opponent's 30, you have created a scoring opportunity that is uh, a positive um, note towards your Echel rate. So when I say that TCU's Echel rate is 55.3%, 55.3% of the time, their drives are moving beyond the opponent's 30-yard line. That's really good. That's 16th in the country. Where they're struggling, and if you've listened to the show, you've known that if you've watched TCU football this year, you've known this. And they're struggling at turning those opportunities into actual points. They are 16th in Echel rate. They are 94th in the country in points per Echel drive. What points per Echel drive calculates is how many points are you scoring on average every time the ball crosses your opponent's 30. That's 3.28 points for TCU, which puts them at 94th in the country. So they're 16th in the country in creating scoring opportunities. They're 94th in the country in converting those opportunities into actual points. This is the hang-up of TCU's offense right now. They're 125th in red zone offense, scoring just 69% of the time. They're scoring a touchdown just over 50% of the time. That's not good enough. Now, 
frame that in what I just said. They're a top 28 team in passing EPA. They're a top 30 team in rushing EPA. Recently, I've criticized them on for, on early downs for not being good enough. Well, they're up to 37th in the country in positive plays on first and second down. So they're getting better there. They're 20th now in the country on third and fourth down success at 49.2%. 49.2% of the time on third and fourth down, they're converting to a first down. That's top 20 in the country. Okay? Everything about the offense is moving in the right direction except for that efficiency stat of when they get closer and closer to the goal line, how many points are they coming away with? And so the question remains, what does TCU need to do offensively to become more efficient at scoring points? Because at the end of the day, yards don't matter. First downs don't matter. Points are what matters. And so if TCU continues to struggle getting the ball in the end zone, then that's going to continue to hurt them on the scoreboard, obviously. It makes sense, right? All of these advanced stats, what they do is they provide context for what our eyes are seeing on the field. Sometimes it doesn't feel like they line up all the way, but I think this year for TCU, it's a pretty good picture from an advanced standpoint of what our eyes are seeing on the field. It's pretty clear that they struggle the closer they get to the goal line, and and they've got to find some solutions to uh, to remedy that because in a game like this against Kansas State that has a defense that is top 20 against the rush, top 20 against uh, echo rate uh, as far as defensive echo rate goes, which means they're not letting your team drive the ball and create scoring opportunities very frequently, you've got to be efficient, right? If you have an opportunity to score, you've got to take advantage because Kansas State does not allow that to happen very frequently. Flipping to the other side of the ball. TCU's defense is 26th in the country in EPA per pass, 40th in the country in EPA per rush, 21st in the country in points per echo. So TCU's defense is very, very good at what we like to call bend, don't break. Meanwhile, Kansas State is 4th in the country on offense in points per echo. They're they're averaging 4.97 points per game. So think back to what I said about TCU, 3.28 points per, per drive per sorry 3.28 points per scoring opportunity per quality drive Kansas State's at 4.97 that's almost a two point difference right that's a point and a half that's a huge difference over the course of a game and so we're going to see TCU's bend don't break offense against an offense for Kansas or defense versus an offense for Kansas State that is incredibly efficient very excited to see how that goes TCU's defense is very good on early downs. Kansas State's offense is very good on early downs. TCU's defense is very good on third and fourth down. Kansas State's offense is very good on third and fourth down. This is going to be a very exciting matchup. The key, though, is the run game for Kansas State against TCU's rushing defense. Like I mentioned earlier, TCU is 40th in the country in EPA per rush. Kansas State is second offensively on EPA per rush. So that's really, I think, where the key is for TCU's defense. How do you manage and control Kansas State's running game? Are you able to shut it down? Are you able to stop it? Because they're 59th in the country in EPA per pass. So you have the advantage there. If you can slow down Kansas State's running game just enough, I think TCU has a pretty good chance to come away with with a win. They've got to combine that, though, 
with being more efficient offensively in the red zone, more efficient with with scoring points once they cross that opponent's 30. Okay? So if those are those are the two keys and I tweeted them out yesterday. If TCU can find a way to become more efficient offensively this week and they can contain Kansas State's running game, I think there's a good chance that the Frogs can can put themselves in a position to win this football game. I think they're five and a half point underdogs heading into Manhattan, which feels about right. Um, but Kansas State has dropped a couple games that they probably shouldn't have. TCU has dropped a couple games that they probably shouldn't have. Uh, so both of these teams, I think, are looking for a win that could spark the back half of their season. And I think it's going to be a pretty close football game. Let me take a sip of coffee. All right. <clears throat> That's the advanced stats preview. Uh, I have tweeted out this advanced stats graph. You can go find it on my Twitter. But make sure you're following at Stats of War. Parker does a great job of breaking down every college football game. He puts these advanced stats previews out for every game every week. They are not gambling advice. I will say that on his behalf. But I do use these as a foundation for understanding what's going to happen in a game. And that, plus some other information, I will occasionally wager. And so this is a really good foundational aspect for understanding what is possibly going to happen. Simply because you have a good understanding of... What happens when teams like these that have profiles like these, what is the possibility when they actually line up and play the football game? So that's all I'm going to say about that. But now, let's go ahead and jump in. Wait, I'm wrong. Before we jump in to Melissa's interview with Luke, I want to tell you guys about Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods is a brand that was created with Horn Frog fans in mind, and each item makes a direct impact on TCU student-athletes. Go to HellsHalfAcreSG.com and check out all of their TCU gear, from polos and shirts to headwear and home goods. Hell's Half Acre has all the TCU goods you need to get ready for game day. They dropped a, a football polo. I, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record. They dropped a football polo before the season started that is elite. They have an elite baseball polo as well. I'm waiting for a hoops one, personally. Steven, if you're listening, give me the hoops polo. I need the hoops polo, okay? Because there is nothing that makes you stand out in the crowd more than these special polos from Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. They are awesome. They are so comfortable. Uh, I need a hoops one for when I'm covering basketball this year. That's all I'm going to say. Get over to hellshalfacresg.com. It's the place to go to get ready for game day. And that's all you need. And in the little comment box, when you're making your purchase, make sure you tell them that Frogs Insider sent you. Will you do that for us, please? We thank you in advance. All right, now let's jump in. Melissa sits down with Luke Thompson of Bring On The Cats to talk TCU Kansas State. They talk a little Josh Hoover. They talk a little Avery Johnson. And they talk a lot more than just that. So let's dive in right now. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Frogs Insider Podcast. I am Melissa Trebowasser here today to preview the Kansas State TCU game, a game that has taken on a little bit more interest in in intrigue because of not one quarterback change, but potentially <laughs> two. And so in order oh, to preview this half. matchup, well, one and a half, one and a half, um, <laughs> to, to, to preview this, this really intriguing matchup this weekend on the Dave Campbell's public football network on the Frogs Insider podcast, I brought on my good friend and uh, experts in all things, Kansas state, Luke Thompson. And honestly, like, I don't want to say Luke that I only like having you on because we're the only two people in the same time zone that cover these teams. <laughs> um, but it certainly helps. So it does make life a little bit easier. Uh, Luke, thanks so much for, for joining me today to preview this game. I appreciate it. Yeah. Always fun to be here. Thanks for having me on. 
Well, we kind of teased it here in the open, but um, as we mentioned, everyone's well aware that's listening to this, that TCU has a quarterback change with Josh Hoover filling in for Chandler Morris, who is out injured um, and and had a just kind of a, a pretty stirring debut. But Kansas State brought in a pretty highly touted quarterback not too long ago. And with Will Howard both kind of dealing with some injury issues and, and also maybe I think it's fair to say decision-making issues on the field. Uh, There has been a call to get more of Avery Johnson um, out to play. And he had his opportunity against Texas Tech and kind of looked every bit as advertised. Is there a quarterback controversy in the Little Apple? Um, I think so. Chris Kleiman would say no. He says we're going to use both of them. I can't tell you how much we're going to use either one. But, you know, yeah, a lot of the Avery Johnson hype train is is rolling pretty fast right now. Um, You know, he showed there's a reason he's a five-star Five rushing touchdowns could have been six if he hadn't obeyed the coaches and gone down on the, the last play. But, um, you know, yeah, he he can run the ball for sure. That helped against Texas Tech, against TCU. It might be a little harder. Um, but like you said, Will Howard hasn't been great throwing the ball. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll just kind of see how much they want to use him going forward. I think it is safe to say that any thoughts of Avery Johnson playing four games or less and getting the red shirt is at the window at this point. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is a kid who is a, is a true freshman, like you mentioned, had five rushing touchdowns um, and made it look pretty easy. Texas Tech defensively does have some issues, but TCU hasn't really faced an athlete like Avery Johnson so far this season at the quarterback position. A kid who's, I don't know if it's fair to characterize him as a, as a run-first quarterback, but I'd say as a young quarterback, the freshman quarterback, that's probably where he's most comfortable. Do you yeah. think that he can give TCU problems with his legs when he's on the field? And how much of a threat to to pass, how how accurate, how good did he look in the passing part of the game against the Red Raiders? Yeah, I think right now he, he's definitely run first. That, that's where his strengths are. He's got some pretty good speed and, and seems to know how to follow his blockers and, and run well. The passing, I mean, he was eight for nine, which sounds good, but only 77 yards, and they didn't really ask him to make any super challenging throws. So, you know, kind of we'll see. I'm sure he's still learning the offense um, a little bit. Uh, we'll see how much he throws it going forward. Probably will have to if he plays more in the game against TCU. How much does does having such different styles of quarterback impact this offensive line? Um, it's been a strength of, of the Wildcats for about as far back as I can remember, and it's certainly one of their strengths uh, this season. Um, and, and really, the, the the line play is a strength for the team on both sides of the ball, clearly. But do you think that that's a difficult adjustment, or does that have kind of changed how the game is called if we see a lot more of Avery Johnson than Will? I, I would imagine Will Howard gets to start. Avery Johnson plays the critical drives. It's kind of what I'm thinking is going to happen on Saturday. And so so is that was that a problem for the offensive line, or did they seem to handle that perfectly fine? Honestly, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people were saying K-State's offensive line played their best game of the season last Saturday. So that was encouraging. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd think it'd be a little difficult, but, you know, center Hayden Gillum came out and said, hey, you know, we love having both quarterbacks. It's great. It's tougher to prepare for, for sure, for opposing defenses. So I, I think they're handling it pretty well so far. Well, and I think one of the things that plays into Kansas State's favor, too, is how good this rushing offense has been. Now, obviously, we know Deuce Vaughn and, and his exploits a season ago and, and it really for the last several seasons and how great of a player, how special a player he was for that offense. Um, but, you know, DJ Kiddens has come in and, and been pretty dang good. Maybe he doesn't have kind of the game-changing type ability that Deuce Vaughn had, but he's averaging almost six yards a carry. He's been one of the best running backs in the Big 12. Um, how much of a surprise has his production been? Or was this something that you guys kind of saw throughout fall camp and expected him to get off to this type of start? Yeah, I mean, UCF might have um, a different opinion on whether he's a game changer. <laughs> yeah. But uh, 
No, yeah. I, I think we expected some big things from him. He's obviously built very well. Um, you know, like he's yeah, he's not super explosive. He's not going to break the big one, but he can just run people over all day. It seems like, and that's kind of what he's been doing. Um, I will say, you know, Treshawn Ward went for a career high 118 yards last game. Actually, ended up getting more carries, so it's good to have him back, fully healthy. And he's more of like a Deuce Vaughn type back, a smaller mm-hmm. guy. So it's nice to have that combination back there. Well, he, I can't remember if he actually won the award, but I know he was a popular pick for newcomer of the year in the Big 12 in the preseason, correct? I mean, he's a transfer, yeah. but like, like you said, a guy who's not been fully healthy. That one-two punch combined with the one-two punch at quarterback uh, certainly makes this offense, uh, I don't want to say more dynamic. Kansas State has been really good offensively, but a, a different kind of look that you can give defenses, which is going to be really difficult to prepare for. And TCU, you know, obviously has a little bit of game tape that Texas Tech didn't benefit from. But, you know, that how much of that ability to kind of keep defenses off schedule do you think was um, critical to their success uh, against the Red Raiders last week? Yeah, I mean, definitely they've got a lot of different weapons that that can do that. Um, It was mostly the running last week. Um, You know, the breakout star for this offense this season really has been Ben Sinat, who's kind of the hybrid fullback tight end type guy. And last week he was doing a lot with his blocking, but he's also Kansas State's leading receiver right now. Kind of the guy that they go to when they need a, a big pass play. Um, that's been great to have. So just like you said, it's been pretty dynamic and having the different options has helped out a lot. Even though the receivers, you know, especially Phil Brooks, have maybe not quite lived up to expectations. But part of that might be, you know, Will Howard just hasn't seemed to be able to connect with them quite as well as we'd hoped. But they've been able to, to figure it out anyway. Well, yeah, you kind of transitioned me um, nicely into talking about the receiving threads. Um, Philip Brooks, you mentioned him as a guy who's felt like he's been in college for 15 years. Um, the fact <laughs> that he's still around seems is, is kind of shocking. But, um, you know, he obviously hasn't gotten off to the hot start. And you mentioned, you know, quarterback play is part of that reason. But um, I want to talk about Ben Stott because, you know, the tight end has kind of become an underutilized um, aspect of offensive football. But like you said, he's been really good in that that hybrid role. How important is having a steady target like that for whether it's Will Howard, who's more of a veteran, or Avery Johnson coming in as a young guy? Um, did, did you see him kind of target uh, Ben a little bit more? And, he's, you know, in his, his nine pass attempts, is that a guy that he feels super comfortable with as well? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, He's been huge, um, and not, not just his size, but just he can catch the short passes or he can, you know, get downfield a little bit too. And it's been great to have a guy like that. You know, the Bill Snyder years, tight end barely ever caught passes. <laughs> so, but we've certainly seen that change for, from Chris Kleiman. Uh, it's been really fun, I think, as Kansas State fans to, to see that development. Let's talk about the defensive side of the ball. Um Kansas State came in with with a pretty veteran defense. They obviously they lost some really um, talented players. There's guys yeah. all over the NFL um, that are are making uh, serious contributions for the professional teams. But there's still a lot of depth and a lot of experience on that side of the ball. What has been the strength of the Kansas State uh, defense so far this season? Um, and and who's who's a player or two that that TCU fans are going to hear their name called a few times a game? Yeah, well, I think it's pretty obvious that the run defense has been the biggest strength so far and that kind of start, starts out front with the defensive line, you know, Kali Duke um, is a name prep TCU fans will probably remember. He's been really solid on that line. Um, you know, they got some linebackers as well. Um, and Austin Moore and, and Austin Romain have been solid and they've done a pretty good job stopping the run. The, the past defense has been the bigger issue and, and part of that has been injuries too. And, you know, they lost linebacker Daniel Green for the season. He was, 
you know, arguably the leader of this defense, and then just a ton of injuries in the secondary have made it hard. But they've relied yeah. a lot more on, on turnovers lately. So. I'm going to be really interested to see because Imani Bailey carried the ball just 13 times a week ago while um, Josh Hoover threw 58 times in his first career start. And so, um, you know, it's kind of a, hey, we're going to need Imani next week more, keep him fresh. But like you mentioned, that run defense for Kansas State has been really, really solid. And so, um, you know, if, if the secondary is the weak point, are, are we going to see another game where Josh Hoover drops back 50 times? And if he does yeah. so, do you think that, that Kansas State um, can still do enough to, to fluster a young kid who now they have film on, which BYU did not really get the benefit of. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly the, the concern. Uh, I think Jacob Parrish is back at corner, so that's good. Will Lee is still out. Um, you know, the big key will be, I think, getting turnovers. Again, they had three interceptions last week. That's how they were able to survive a Texas Tech passing attack that was otherwise pretty good. Um, so, yeah, maybe I mean you get a pass rush and you get a couple of picks against a young quarterback to really throw him off his rhythm. That, that might be K-State's best chance in this one. What has the, the defensive pressure been like um, for the quarterbacks? You know, one of the things that Hoover came out and said immediately in the postgame press conference was, you know, I, I dropped back 58 times and I don't think my jersey got dirty because the pass protection was so good. That's been a weakness for TCU. What has the pass rush been like for Kansas State and can they take advantage of a, of a line that has been really inconsistent for the Horn Frogs? Well, you know, I think it's been decent. Um, maybe not quite a, as good as the high expectations that we had. Um, you know, and that's why quarterbacks have been able to you know, throw it over the field. You know, Brady Cook from Missouri and, and the Texas Tech guy last week. So, you know, we would like to see it maybe get a little bit better, but it hasn't been bad. So another area that, that Kansas State has is generally one of the more solid teams in the conference is special teams. Um, and and that, you know, again, Phillip Brooks is back. He, he's returning kicks. Again, you've got a pretty good kicking game. Um, I don't know. You know, the line on this one is only four and a half, which I think is a little bit surprising um, for TCU fans, uh, or was four and a half uh, as of the beginning of the week uh, may have changed. But um, if this were to come down to special teams, to either field position or field goals or a big return, um, how is Kansas State positioned this year um, compared to what we've seen in the past couple of years as far as being able to make that a strength or something that can be a game changer or a field flipper um, in a close game? Yeah, I would say definitely not as good as past years. I mean, that's a high bar. But, um, you know, Phillip Brooks is, is electric back there, but hasn't really done a whole lot with his opportunities. Um, you know, the kicking game has been fine, but nothing special. And, and there have been some mistakes on, on special teams that – I've heard the cats a little bit, so it, it hasn't really been a game changer yet this season. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting when you talk about all of the injuries that Kansas State has had, especially on the defensive side of the ball. That really does filter down to special teams yeah. because when you have to move guys up earlier than anticipated, you end up with a lot more youth in that area, and that's how that's how big plays get broken on the other side, or how you know blocks get missed when you're returning kicks. So that is definitely something to watch. Is could potentially. Uh, TCU's also struggled a little bit, but seems to be playing a little bit better now than they were at the beginning of the season. So if this comes down to special teams, it'll be interesting to see which of those two units kind of steps up um, after both have had a little bit of a rocky start to the season. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that that one of the things going to be really interesting, like you mentioned, is going to be um, a young Josh Hoover in his first ever road start playing against the Kansas State secondary that has been kind of banged up. I don't know if you had a chance to see much of, of Hoover's highlights from last week, but um, you know, based on what you've seen this this K-State defense do so far this season in the passing attack, 
um, you know, what's going to kind of be the key there? You mentioned pressure. You mentioned maybe forcing some turnovers. But is there one area where you think that, that K-State really has an advantage defensively? Um, you know, are they strong against the deep ball? Are they better at taking away the middle of the field? Like, what's one thing that we can really be pay- paying attention to and how TCU game plans this one? Yeah, I guess I would say probably, um, you know, the key will be whether K-State can stop the deep ball because they haven't done a great job in that. But then once teams get, you know, closer to the end zone, I think the K-State defense has been better about tightening it up. So maybe preventing those big plays and making teams, you know, convert their red zone, making TCU convert their red zone opportunities will be a big key for Kansas State, I think. Which is it's going to be super interesting because that's an area up until last week that the Horn Frogs have really struggled has been in the red zone. So it's, we've got a bend but don't break defense <laughs> yeah. that likes to turn people over in the red zone against a team that can move the ball with ease between the 20s but has struggled to score. Uh, th- this one could really be a game of attrition, I think, on both yeah. ends. Um, th- this rivalry, I think, has really kind of gained some steam in, steam in the last couple of years. And I, I did notice that you're wearing your Big 12 champion shirt. I'm sure that's not... <laughs> accidental Luke that was that was super cool of you to do um thank you for that I just want to let people know you know if you want to not have to 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 wear terrible t-shirts like that we are sponsored frogs insider sponsored by home field apparel you can get real good shirts um, and not not rub it in your face big 12 championship shirt I will say the home field k-state line is pretty elite the lavender is absolutely gorgeous um Nobody does purple better than home field apparel um, and nobody does purple better at schools than Kansas State and TCU. So frogs in 15, will get you 15% off for, for the listeners. But <laughs> um, we saw this rivalry really pick up steam last year. You know, there was a lot of quote unquote controversy um, in, in the, the game in Fort Worth. Um, and then of course, Kansas State kind of got the last laugh by uh, winning the big 12 championship. Um, and, and again, what was a little bit of a controversial finish as well, what was he or was he not yeah. across the line? We'll never know. But um, <laughs> what, what is kind of your view of the rivalry with TCU? It, it, can this be one of the elite, like non-traditional rivalries in the new Big 12? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you've got two teams that obviously aren't maybe traditional powers, but have been solid for you know the last decade in, in TCU's case, maybe longer in in Kansas State's case, kind of smaller schools, you know, not the the biggest fan bases from their state. But, um, you know, I think the fans have been getting excited about this matchup and, and last year made it a lot better. I mean, this is arguably, you know, two teams that, that kind of going for that third spot right now, unfortunately, behind Texas and Oklahoma. But <laughs> this game could go a long way in determining um, who takes that over. So... Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a rivalry developing, and it'll be fun to see where it goes going forward. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, like you kind of mentioned that third spot of, of who's going to be the flag bearer in this conference once Texas and OU leave. And then also, you know, if, if Texas were to slip up again here, like which team is best positioned yeah. to make a run at being that second team in the Big 12 championship? K-State was a trendy pick in the preseason. Um, you know, have had some struggles, but, you know, and, and TCU, you know, wasn't necessarily um, picked to finish near the top this year, but after some early struggles, this, this this week determines a lot about what TC's fortunes are going forward. Is this a team that can go on a run and, and win some games or is this a team that's going to be struggling for bowl eligibility? It'd be really interesting to see how that kind of plays out Saturday night in Manhattan. Um, uh, before I get to kind of a big picture question, I'm, I won't make you make a score prediction <laughs> if you don't want to. But what I will what I will ask is if Kansas State wins Saturday night against TCU, what went right for the Wildcats? If TCU wins on the road, what went wrong for the Wildcats? Uh, yeah, I think that the first thing will be Chris Kleiman um, making the right choices at quarterback, um, you know, and whether that's 
finding success in the passing game with, with either one really, or, or maybe just sticking with Avery on the run, maybe the run game works, but finding that right mix and not, um, you know, hurting, you know, the, the nightmare scenario, of course, with two quarterbacks is you hurt one or both guys confidence, you know, just pulling it out too much. So hopefully that won't happen. And then defensively, like I said, I think K-State's got to get some turnovers um, to have a chance. I don't feel real great about the pass defense, you know, especially if Hoover picks up where he left off last week. So those are the big keys for me. And then, you know, kind of big picture of the Big 12, you know, we've, we've seen a little bit of the four newcomers. They've, they've for the most part, struggled, um, you know, and making the yep. jump to kind of that, that week in, week out of Power 5 grind. Um, but what have you th- thought of is, is, again, one of the foundational programs, flagship programs going forward in this conference. What have you thought of, of the overall, the, the expansion, the work that Brett Yormark has done? And what does adding um, four schools in Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado next year do for this conference going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been good. Mostly, it's 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 gonna take some time for them to adjust. You know, not everybody can be TCU and jump in and be successful right away. <laughs> Special, can I say? Yeah, uh, but no, it'll be fun to see. Um, you know, the West Coast. I think they'll be in a little little better position coming from a Power Five conference. Uh, I will say, I know we're talking about football here, but I'm really gonna miss the basketball round robin. Yeah, That's the part I'm most sad about with expansion, but. Uh, no, I think overall it, it'll be a good thing. And, you know, people want to find who's going to be the next power program, who's going to be the next Oklahoma. But I don't know if the Big 12 needs that. I think maybe it'd be more fun to see kind of different champions year to year. So, well, you, you did mention basketball, and as, as uh, Big 12 Media Days kicks off for basketball this week, um, you know, Kansas State has had, had traditionally one of the stronger programs um, in the conference and a strong program in the country. This year looks looks like they're still kind of I think they were picked, you know, kind of in that bottom third year of what is going to inarguably be the best and deepest basketball conference in the country. I, too, will miss the round robin, but I can't say that I'm not super, super excited about bringing in Houston this year and then having uh, mm-hmm. a program like Arizona join going forward. Um, and Some of those really blue blood powerhouses, potentially Gonzaga still. Yeah. Um, what what are the what are the outlook? What's the outlook for? Uh, Kansas State basketball this season um, and and how do you think they're going to do in this this new look and even deeper more terrifying Big 12 conference well I'd just like to remind anyone everyone first of all I believe K-State was picked to finish last going into last season or That's near true. the bottom that is very so true yeah I, I trust Jerome Tang at this point he's given us no reason to doubt him and he, he's real excited about his team um, you know, we've got the, the kid from LSU Colbert who's coming in after registering last year um, got another small point guard who transferred in, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be Marquise Noel, but <laughs> he should be pretty good. So I think they're going to surprise some people and be a really solid team. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to, I mean, and obviously you guys, Marquise Noel is an, is an all-time great, but, you know, losing a guy like that, you're going to take a step backwards, sure. But yeah, to, to watch that team get picked last and go on the run that they did into the postseason, um, I wouldn't be too worried if I was a Kansas State fan seeing them pick near the bottom. But again, this conference is going to be, just absolutely insane. I know I'm really excited about what I've seen from TCU, but I'm still looking at the schedule and going, man, like there's just not, there's not going to be an easy week uh, for any of these teams. It's, it's going to yeah. be a lot of fun um, and also absolutely terrifying and horrible in every way. Um, can't wait. Super excited. So when you said near um, the bottom, I mean, K-State's picked to finish sixth, I believe, right? So kind of were they the six? Okay. So I, I may, I may have seen that wrong. Um, I, I, I kind of gave it a quick, a quick yeah. glance over this morning, but didn't, didn't pay too close attention. Maybe I, maybe I'm incorrect if they're picked. 
picking yeah, sixth six. in the Big 12 is like picking, getting picked second or third in any other uh, conference in the country. <laughs> right, so, right. Um, yeah, that's, that's another tournament team right there. So um, before I let you go, uh, can you tell people where they can find your work um, and learn more about the Wildcats heading into this weekend? Yeah, definitely. Uh, just uh, bring on the cats.com. Do some writing there. Haven't done as much podcasting lately. Hopefully we'll get back into that soon. But um, you can also follow me on Twitter at Aaron Alley. And that's about it. Yeah, well, really appreciate you coming on and previewing this game. That I think it's, it's going to be a pretty, a pretty good one. I am uh, chaperoning homecoming Saturday night, so I will be on my phone in in the quad, um, so certainly paying attention to what I'm supposed to be doing with responsibility, but mostly keeping an eye on this game. Uh, I have a feeling <laughs> uh, I, I'm expecting it to be a, a pretty tense back and forth affair until the fourth quarter. So it's going to be fun to see how it plays out. Yeah, I will actually be covering the Wildcats of Central Washington in my day job as a sports journalist. So. We'll... So, so yeah, we'll, sure. we'll both have one eye on our job and one eye <laughs> yeah. on, on our phones. That's that's a perfectly exactly. acceptable way to, to go about things. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us on the Frogs Insider Podcast, part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Network. As always, thank you to our sponsors, Health Health Acre Stadium Goods and Home Field Apparel. Appreciate uh, the support that they give us. And thank you so much, Luke, for, for jumping on. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Luke Thompson for taking the time to break down TCU Kansas State. What an excellent interview. Luke is a great friend of the show. Melissa and Luke, they kind of go way back because Bring On the Cats is SB Nation. And uh, so we did a lot of stuff with BOTC when we were still with Frogs of War. Uh, love, love that relationship and love that that's continuing on here. Um, all right. I want to tell you about our other sponsor, Homefield Apparel. With Homefield Apparel. All right. First of all, let me back up. If you're watching on the YouTube channel right now, which you should be, and if you're watching on the YouTube channel right now, hit the like button. Hit that subscribe button. Leave me a comment. I want you to tell me what you think of the hoodie I'm wearing right now. This is the Big Sky hoodie. This is the infamous hoodie that I talk about almost every single show. It is so incredibly comfortable. It is so soft. We're finally in full-on hoodie weather here in Texas. And I was so excited to be able to throw this hoodie on and not sweat just a little bit. Because it's elite. It's comfortable. I might not take it off until like March. We'll see. You can find hoodies just like this. You can find TCU hoodies just like this, T-shirts, joggers. Uh, they've got a bomber jacket for TCU right now, all at homefieldapparel.com. And when you go to homefieldapparel.com and you see some TCU gear that you want and you head to the checkout, make sure you use the code FROGSIN15, FROGSIN15. That'll get you 15% off of your first purchase and 10% off of all subsequent purchases over at homefieldapparel.com. Homefieldapparel.com. Get yourself a Big Sky hoodie. Get yourself a TCU hoodie. Get ready for the cold part of football season with home field apparel. Okay, three games that I am watching this week. The first one is one that everyone's going to be watching. Don't judge me, but I'm watching Ohio State-Penn State. And I'll tell you why I'm watching Ohio State-Penn State. Because I think Penn State wins this football game. I'm, I'm fairly convinced in my own little crazy mind that Penn State is going to come away with the win over Ohio State. I have not been terribly impressed with Ohio State this year. Um, and and I just think that this is maybe a changing of the guard, like a full-on shift in the power structure of the Big Ten with what Michigan's done the last few years and with what James Franklin is starting to build down at Penn State. Like It, it feels like this is the high end of the cycle for Penn State and James Franklin. So this has to be the year, right, that they beat Ohio State. And if you beat Ohio State in a year where Michigan probably also beats Ohio State, what does that do for the power structure of the Big Ten? 
What happens if Ohio State loses two conference games in the same year? Does Penn State take advantage of that? Did they move up into that number two spot? A lot hinges on this weekend. And it's not just playoff Big Ten championship implications. I think it's full-on power structure, future of the conference implications for Penn State, Ohio State this weekend. Very excited to see how that game goes. The next game I'm watching is Oklahoma State, West Virginia. I did not think that I would be watching this game at the beginning of the season when I saw it on the schedule. These are two teams who I took the under on both of their win totals this year, and now they're both sitting at 4-2. and two. They're making me look really, really stupid, uh, and they both look like they're having decent seasons. Now, West Virginia had a pretty sad loss to Houston last week. Pretty embarrassing the way that that game ended. That being said, they're still sitting there at 4-2, and two, and they've got something cooking with Garrett Green. He's a good runner. They're moving the ball okay. Their defense looks pretty stout except for on that Hail Mary. Uh, I'm interested to see what they do against an Oklahoma State team that's beaten Kansas State and Kansas in the last two weeks. Mike Gundy quietly has this thing rolling. Sonny Dykes gave him a shout-out in his midweek press conference this week. I asked him, I asked Sonny about the state of the Big 12, and he called out Oklahoma State and said that Mike Gundy's quietly done a really good job, said he's a heck of a football coach. I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see how this game goes. I believe it's at West Virginia. I think the, the Mountaineers are getting three points right now. I think I'm going to go Oklahoma State money line in this game, though. We shall see. <clears throat> and then the last game is – there were a couple to choose from, right? I thought about USC-Utah, um, but I actually am going to go with Duke and Florida State because Riley Leonard is, should be back for this football game. He's their NFL draft prospect quarterback, and I think that – while, yes, this game is at Florida State, the line is 14.5, and, a half, and I, I think Duke's going to keep it way closer than that. Uh, I think defensively, Mike Elko has that thing absolutely rolling right now. I think Florida State's shown some vulnerabilities over the last few weeks. J- Jordan Travis is a little bit banged up right now, too. Um, <clears throat> and so I'm interested to see if Duke can keep it close. I don't know that they necessarily come away with the upset win in Tallahassee, but I do think they cover, and that's going to make for a pretty interesting game. So those are my three games of the week. Ohio State, Penn State, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Duke, and Florida State. Look at that. No SEC games for now. Maybe those are SEC games in the future. We'll see. Uh, All right, let's hop in to the mailbag. Got some really good questions this week. Shout out to the folks over at Horned Frog Blitz for asking some questions. Just a reminder, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I want to ask a question, Sign up at hornfrogblitz.com. I drop a thread in there every Wednesday morning labeled mailbag. People can go in, ask questions. A lot of folks like to have conversations about the questions they're asking me. Um, and it turns into a really nice just kind of community conversation before I even get to recording the pod. So that's kind of been a fun byproduct of, of doing this on the board. Um, and again, it's a perk for the folks who pay for the content that that Jeremy Clark and I are providing over at Hornfrog Blitz to be able to be the ones that ask the questions. So you want to ask a question? Sign up at hornfrogblitz.com. Plus, huge community of TCU Hornfrog fans talking about TCU Athletics 24-7. Like, what's better than that? Really, what's better than that? So let's jump in. Ultimate Frog starts us off this week by asking, is this the start of the Hoover era or is this 2021 Baylor-Oklahoma State? This is a good question. Uh, and this is something that Melissa and I talked about on the last episode. It could this, this could very well have been, the BYU game could have been a Dead Cats bounce on the season. We don't know that for sure yet. We'll know more after the Kansas State game. 
I tend to think, and maybe this is this is you know with the purple glasses fully on. I tend to think that this is different than Baylor Oklahoma State for a couple of different reasons. Obviously, Baylor was an emotional game in 2021, not just because Max was hurt and Chandler Morris was getting his first start. Gary, it was it was the first post Gary Patterson era football game at TCU, so it's 21 years since there's been a new head coach and all of a sudden it's Jerry kill standing on the sideline. So I think that there was a different kind of emotion around that Baylor game. I don't necessarily think that team was less talented than this year's version of TCU football, but I think that just the, the, the mindset and the emotions around that football game, a rivalry game right after the legendary head coach has been fired. Like there's a lot going on there with this. Chandler goes down with an injury. Josh Hoover comes in and re-energizes the team in a way that we hadn't seen really this season. There's not a lot of the extra baggage that that 21 team was carrying. And so that's why I think that maybe this isn't just a one-and-done kind of situation for Josh Hoover. <clears throat> Annoying Group of 20 asks, is Hoover the guy you'd want your daughter to date? Lunch pail, coach's kid, deceptive speed, academic in the classroom and fill room, picks up. Yeah, man, these are all the these are all the 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 white the white athlete monikers, right? All the lunch pail, hard worker, high IQ. Um, if you haven't seen that bit on uh, what is it, Key and Peel, I think uh, it's a good bit. That's a very good bit. Um, I don't have a daughter, so there's that. Uh, but I would say that Josh Hoover from all, all the conversations I've had with him, which is not many, uh, and, and just the, the interactions in the media room, the kid has a maturity beyond his years. And that much has been clear, uh, to the coaching staff for a long time. And now to the general public for a, a couple weeks. Um, and so, yeah, I think he's a pretty trustworthy guy. I, I trust him around my kids. Uh, I haven't watched a lick of Kansas state. What's the same and what's different this year? New QB can run. Can we tackle? That's the question, man. This is like what I talked about in the stats preview. Got to contain the run. Avery Johnson, if he's out there running around, he's had five rushing touchdowns last week. TCU's been susceptible to quarterbacks that can run over the years. And, you know, that's largely the reason they lost to West Virginia was because of Garrett Green's legs. So that and just bad offense. But... Uh, Kansas State looks the same. I mean, they're they're always going to be physical. They're going to play good defense, right? They're going to be one of the more imposing teams in the Big 12 just from a we-want-to-push-you-and-move-you kind of standpoint. Uh, that hasn't really changed. Will Howard, still throwing it around a little bit, but he's been banged up. Avery Johnson's shown some juice on the ground, and I think that's kind of what's causing this quarterback competition in the middle of the season. Um, I don't know what the splits are going to look like for those two quarterbacks on Saturday, but I think they're both going to play. Uh, and I think that presents just a, an inherent challenge for TCU as they prepare defensively because you've got to prepare for two kind of different styles of quarterback. Ultimate Frog also asks, how awkward is the Morris JPR residence right now? I don't think it's awkward at all. I think that uh, – I, so I asked JP after the BYU game because he is Chandler's roommate. I said, what has Chandler done or what did Chandler do this week to kind of help, help the team get prepared? And he said he's doing the same thing that he's always done, right? He's been a good teammate. He's been a good leader. He's helping – Josh Hoover figure things out. Um, I don't think that I don't think that residence is awkward at all. 
Asher Cook one, how does TCU's football recruiting and TV viewership stack up to Big Ten schools? Well, it depends on the Big Ten school that you're talking about because I believe TCU uh, is doing much better in TV viewership and ratings or and in recruiting than like Rutgers and Purdue and Illinois and you know some of those other bottom tier programs right now tcu is 38th in the country for their 2024 recruiting class maryland big 10 big 10 powerhouse maryland right five and zero going into ohio state before they lost two games in a row uh is 39th right so they're right there um rutgers is 34th so they're right there as well minnesota's 31 uh purdue is 29 actually or 28 excuse me um so they're they're there right they're in that kind of cluster illinois is down here at 48 uh, these are all 24-7, by the way, obviously. Indiana's 51. Um, so, you know, they're they're in that kind of cluster in the in the low 30s with a couple other Big Ten schools. Their ratings are, I think, comparable to, like, uh, Minnesota uh, right now. So not, I, not, not elite. Right, last year's was way better, but obviously people watch winners. And TCU was doing more of that in 2022 than they are currently in 2023. Now... They win this weekend. They got the bye. Then they've got Texas Tech versus Texas. They got a couple in-state rivalries. The ratings are probably going to jump up a little bit for those games. Um, but yeah, they're they're kind of middle of the road. Big Ten is where they would be right now. Uh, TRF fifty one says, "I was very impressed with Misi this last game. I've been down on him, but is there someone on this team who you have kind of been down on, but has played very well of late? Maybe enough to change your opinion of them." I'm going to say Savion Williams. And it's funny because I'm actually going to talk to him this week. I've got a one-on-one schedule with him. Um, I thought that there would be a bigger step forward for him this year in in Quentin Johnston's absence. Even though they brought in Dalen Wright, even though they brought in Warren Thompson, I thought that Savion Williams would finally show all of the talent that he had been giving us hints of over the last three years. And for the first few weeks of the season, we just didn't see it. And then these last couple of weeks... Like when he gets the ball in his hands, he is fighting for every single yard. He is out there hunting contact. He wants to be physical. He's showing off his size. He's showing off his speed. Now, he's not putting up all of the stats that you would hope at this point, but I think part of that is just because they're spreading the ball around to so many guys. But I've been I've liked what I've seen from Savion the last couple of weeks. Um and I hope that he can keep it up the rest of the year cuz the Frogs desperately need a dude at that outside wide receiver spot. And it feels like he's really, really trying to establish himself as that these last couple of weeks. Uh, Sonny Dykes mentioned, oh, he's mentioned every week, you know, consistency matters, practicing matters, being out there and available matters. And I think we're finally seeing the benefit or we're starting to see the, the product of Savion being healthy and being there in practice every single day. So hopefully that continues. Mantikos asks, what does Hoove have... Who does Hoop have the best connection with in the wide receiver room? I would say at this point it's JPR and Savion. Uh, how is the O-line reshuffle going? Is the interior shored up? So there's they're pretty substantial splits right now when you look at this offensive line from a pass blocking versus a run blocking standpoint. They've gotten much better pass blocking. Much better. Part of that is because uh, a softer pass rush from BYU, that's not their strength. The run game did not look very good against BYU. And I know that they aired it out. They threw it like 60 times. 
but they tried to run at times and couldn't get the yardage that we're used to seeing Amani Bailey get. He had 65 yards on 13 carries or something like that. 25 of those came on one carry and another 11 came on another. So that's 50% of his carries, 50% of his yards came on two carries and then the other 50% came on 11. And a lot of that was the interior line kind of caved at times in the run game. He didn't have good lanes to run through. Uh, they tried to bounce it out on the edge a lot and TCU lost the edge on the line. Um, and so there's still, I, I think the shuffle was good for the passing game. Jury's still out on on how it impacts the running game because two of the three games since the switch, Imani Bailey's been below his average yardage this season rushing. Yeah, I mean, the outlier is Iowa State where he ran like crazy, but, you know, they still lost that game by a significant number. So I'm interested to see if the offensive line improves in the run game this week against a really physical Kansas State defense. It's going to be a tough, tough challenge. Uh, what are your realistic expectations for the rest of the schedule? So they've got Kansas State, Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor, and Oklahoma left. Five games left. I think two and three is a realistic expectation, right? I mean, you're talking about the most winnable games are Baylor than Texas Tech. You've probably got to take this Kansas State game this weekend if you want to have a winning record through these last five because Texas and Oklahoma both look really, really tough right now. Um, and that that's realistic, right? We're talking about realistic expectations. Would it be great to see TCU run the table the rest of the season? Yeah. But realistically, I think two, I think we're looking at two and three, maybe three and two. What do you think the biggest lesson the coaches have learned so far this season? <clears throat> uh, so yes. What's the biggest lesson the coaches have learned so far? I think, I don't know if it's a lesson that they've learned for the first time or a new lesson, but I think it's a nice reminder that every team is different, right? Like, you, you had so much success in 2022. And I think this is a message that the coaches tried to relay to the team a little bit is like last year doesn't matter anymore. This year is this year. You didn't, you didn't, you know, this year's team, 2023 TCU didn't go to the big 12 championship. They didn't win the Fiesta Bowl, Right. And, and I think that, um, I think the coaches maybe recognize that a little bit and I think they're learning it. I think they're learning it now. Uh, as far as other lessons though, I look, I mean, Sonny, Sonny laid it out pretty clearly in the fall that he thought they would be good. He thought they'd be a good football team, but he also very openly acknowledged that they didn't have some of the top end talent that they had on last year's roster. He's like, they, he, he acknowledged that they didn't have a Quentin Johnston, that they didn't have a D winners, right? That they didn't have a Kendra Miller. Now, Amani Bailey has stepped up into that role pretty nicely, um, but I think we should have listened a little bit closer. And I say we, just as you know, TCU's fan base, but also like me as media person, I should have dissected his words a little bit more closely when he said, we don't have the top-end talent, but I think we've got better depth, right? Um, because I think that we've seen some of that better depth, but we have also very clearly seen the lack of top-end talent. Um, and that, I think, was maybe a hint that this was more of a development year than we were hoping for, Right. Uh, so lesson learned from me as well to listen more closely when, when coaches are talking during fall camp. Pastor Frog, my man, asks, what advantages and disadvantages does Shad bring against K-State and Johnson? Shad's biggest advantage that he brings is his speed and his ability to plug gaps in the run game. Does he always make the tackle? No, he does not. But I think Shad's ability to create havoc along the line is going to help in the run game, it's going to keep guys like Namdi Obiezor, who is an excellent tackler, free to do their job. 
Um, Shad is also decent in coverage, which is really nice. So, you know, you're talking about Kansas State loving to run the football and then loving to do some short passing game stuff off of that run game. I think Shad has the the movement and the quickness to be able to uh, defend some of that really, really well. Um, same goes for Marcel Brooks, who we saw a lot more of against BYU. Uh, really excited to see those guys continue to get more reps um, because I think their athleticism provides uh, just a different feel to this TCU linebacking unit. Bex, uh, Bexar Frog asks a couple questions. Why isn't Marquis Steele playing? Why isn't Jonathan Bax playing? Why isn't Garrett Hayes playing? Why doesn't Cordell Russell play very much? Why doesn't Marcel Brooks play on kick coverage anymore? So the first four... <clears throat> Uh, well, I guess to three of the four on deal backs and Russell. Sometimes freshmen just don't play much. And it's not a, it's not anything against them. It's not anything against their athleticism or their talent. It's not like they got misevaluated by TCU. We don't have to read anything more into it other than sometimes freshmen just don't play much. And that's the reality. Not every freshman quarterback is going to be Trevor Lawrence or Johnny Manziel. Not every freshman wide receiver is even going to be Quentin Johnston, right? Um, and not every linebacker is going to be able to come in first year and just fully understand what their roles and responsibilities are in a defense. It's pretty complicated. That's just, that's just the, that's it. Right. And I understand in the world of portal and NIL that there's always this underlying concern about guys transferring. That's just going to, we're just going to have to learn to live with that because sometimes just freshmen aren't ready to play. And at the end of the day, the goal is still to win football games. And you're not going to compromise. If you're a head coach or an assistant coach, you're not going to compromise a team's ability to win football games because a freshman might get their feelings hurt. Right? You got to get in and get. You got to get ready to play the game. And if you're ready to play the game, then you're going to get the chance. That's just how it is. Uh, with Marcel Brooks, I think they're just starting to see him be fully healthy from his pretty gruesome injury last year. And so, if he's going to play more at linebacker, I think maybe there's still a little bit of a pitch count there. And so the question is, do you want him to be linebacker or do you want him to be a special teams player? And in my, like I, I'm saying, yeah, line, give me, give me Marcel Brooks, the linebacker, uh, TCU frogs. Oh nine. What does TCU have to do on offense and defense to win a K state th- on Saturday? Kind of covered that already. I think TCU has got to find a way to become more efficient when they get close to the goal line and they've got to stop Kansas state in the run game. Those are the two big keys. Life of a frog. Where does TCU have a distinct matchup advantage against Kansas State? I think, um, I think wide receivers wise, they've got a pretty good, pretty good matchup here. So, uh, passing game, defensively for Kansas State, they're 66th in the country in EPA per pass. TCU's 28th offensively. So, I think if you look at TCU's passing game, which looked really good against BYU, there's probably a little bit more of an opportunity there this week for Josh Hoover to throw the ball around. So look for maybe another another good game from Josh Hoover if he can overcome being on the road, hostile environment, much better general defense, right? Kansas State is just a better team than BYU. Um, but there's still probably a little bit of an opportunity to throw the football there. Defensively for TCU, uh, I think they can make Kansas State one-dimensional because they've got a pretty good passing defense at this point, and Kansas State's not very good at that. But I, I also don't think Kansas State cares very much about that, right? They don't mind just being a team that runs the football really well. And so you've got to find a way to stop that run. That hasn't been TCU's strength defensively this year. We're going to see if they can get that figured out. Are we capable of being more physical at the line of scrimmage than they are? Ooh, that's a coin flip. 
That's a coin flip. Kansas State lives in the trenches. That's where their whole team starts, right? That's Chris, Chris Kleiman's like MO at, at North Dakota State was, we're going to beat your ass in the trenches, and then we'll go from there. And he's brought that same kind of kind of kind of mentality to, to Manhattan, uh, which is kind of ingrained in that program already all the way back, all the way back to the, like the early Bill Snyder years. They were like, oh, we're going to we're going to push you around. Um, <clears throat> so we'll see. I don't know. That's a good question. Loaf. I don't know. I don't know if they are. Is Sonny gutsy enough to play a lot of early down man coverage and commit an extra body to the box? Or does he even concern himself with that level of game planning? I think he does concern himself with that, right? Like when they have their strategy meetings, their game planning meetings, he's definitely contributing at that level. But ultimately, he leaves it up to Gillespie. And I think, you know, save Colorado, Gillespie's had a pretty good year coaching a defense that's without D, D winners and Dylan Horton, uh, without Travis Hodges Tomlinson, right? Um, he's done a pretty good job of, of getting this defense ready to play every week. Do they still give up occasional big plays? Yes. But that's just kind of the nature of the 3 3 5. And then, you know, you go back to their points per echo, like I talked about earlier. They're really, really good at keeping guys out of the end zone. Uh, and so that has to continue on Saturday. Ludacliff asks, how do we contain K-State's Johnson? Will we load the box and fill the gaps? With our pressure, will their O-line be able to keep Johnson erect? You didn't think I'd say that on the podcast. That's why you typed that out. Um, I think that you've got to spy him. I think that you've got to have Shad or Namdi or, or Jamoy, whoever is normally the spy in this three three five. I guess it'd be Jamoy. Um, would it be Jamoy? No, it'd be Shad. Shad was yeah. I think it'd be Shad. Um, <clears throat> I'm I'm not football smart. I'm showing that right now. You got to have someone shadow. You got to have someone spy. Um, you're you're probably pretty comfortable against K State's wide receiving group this year. Going man. Um, especially if Ishburdine stays healthy and is capable of being that CB2. Uh, you, you're feeling pretty good about your corners at that point. Um, you, you, you know, you've got you've to keep, keep eyes on, on Avery Johnson. Every time I think of Avery Johnson, by the way, I think of the former Spurs player and Mavericks coach and his voice, and so that's just rolling through my head right now. I just needed you to know that. Hopefully it's doing the same thing for you now too. Frog Frog asks, will you be in Manhattan? No, I will not. How many away games a season do you make? Last year, the only game I missed was the Kansas game. This year, I have not made West Virginia for a wedding. Um, I did not make Iowa State, and I will not make Kansas State. I won't make Texas Tech because it's on a Thursday night and I'm not going to Lubbock on a Thursday night. Um, I'll be at every other game besides that. So what's that? Texas, Baylor, and Oklahoma. I'll be at those three to end the season. Rank your top five game day experiences in the current Big 12 pre-four corner. And does your answer change as a fan versus media access guy? The last question first, yes, it does. And it's not necessarily like one is better or one is the other. Um, But press box food is a real thing. And when I tell you that Houston had the absolute worst press box food experience that I have ever had. I am not exaggerating. It was terrible. I would rather had no food and had to go pay for my own concessions because the bubble guts that I got on the drive back that night were absolutely miserable. And then when I stopped at the Bucky's in Madisonville to get a coffee at 1.30 in the morning while I was, A, trying not to crap my pants, and B, trying to watch the end of Colorado, Colorado State, I get there and all of the TCU band folks and like spirit groups are in the Bucky's. The lines for the toilets were out the door. The lines for buying stuff at the register was out the door. It took me 30 minutes 
to get in and out of Bucky's at one thirty in the morning because of the TCU band. So shout out to TCU band and cheer and showgirls and everybody that was in there. All I had to do was poop and get a coffee and I had, it took half an hour. It took half an hour. Uh, I did not rank my five game day experiences. Let's see. In the current Big 12, okay. Um, Colorado was an excellent game day experience, even though TCU lost. Oh. The atmosphere around Texas TCU last year was awesome. And then the way the game played out, two defenses just throwing haymakers at each other, and then TCU striking with the long Kendry Miller touchdown run was an awesome game day experience. Um, this is the thing, like since CCU has been in the big 12, I really haven't gone to many games just as a fan. Um, I'll say this though. When I was an undergrad, Texas tech TCU, that 12 to three game, one of the best game day experiences I've ever had. TCU, Utah in the, in the game day year, the blowout year, one of the best experiences I've ever had. TCU, B, TCU Baylor in the cold, I couldn't feel my legs, so I didn't rush the field because I thought I'd break both my ankles if I jumped over the wall. Um, that was a heck of a... And I, I won't say this on the podcast, but my experience of getting home, because I still lived in Dallas at that point, was pretty hectic as well. So if we ever bump into each other in public or in person, face-to-face, I'll tell you that story. Um, a lot lot going on there, yeah. The I'll say this, though. All in all... You go pretty much anywhere in the Big 12, you're going to have a good time. I will say this. Iowa State the day after Thanksgiving last year, or two years ago, was pretty fun, even though TCU got rocked. Um, had a really good host up there. Shout out to Levi, who you actually heard on the podcast for the Iowa State preview. Uh, he, he invited me up, went up there, had a great day. I asked a lot of Iowa State fans why they liked Matt Campbell when he couldn't beat Iowa. Um, and Levi prevented me from just getting beat up a lot of the time. It was a good time. Uh, McFrog. What is Hoover's animal spirit? Spirit animal, first of all. Um, and I'm going to say, because he's 1-0 in his career and he did it against BYU, I'm going to say that it's a cougar. Hot moms. All right, Papoose13. Can we get an update on some of the more promising freshmen that haven't seen significant playing time? Players like Bax, Chapman, Carter, Deal. I just, yeah, I, I kind of answered this one already. Just sometimes freshmen don't play. And it's just as simple as that. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Oh, that was the last one. Nice. Look at that. Reasonable time. We are keeping this thing reasonable today. All right. If you have made it to this point, I want to thank you and say you're awesome for listening to the Frogs Insider podcast. On behalf of Melissa Trebowasser and Luke Thompson, thank you for listening to their preview of TCU Kansas State, which happens at 6 p.m. Central Time on Saturday night. I believe that game's on Fox 2? I don't know. Don't trust me there. But trust me when I tell you to like and subscribe to the show on YouTube. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us get into the ears of more TCU fans. Make sure you're subscribed over at hornfrogblitz.com if you want to ask a question in next week's mailbag and join the conversation over there. And then until next time, you know when we're breaking down TCU against Kansas State on, on Monday morning, we'll see you then. Go Frogs.